I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This could be our last night on Earth. You don't want to die a flop, do you? This is Flop Culture. You are listening to Flop Culture, a podcast where we mainly talk about flops, but we also talk about bops occasionally, hot goss, we do some TV talk, lots of things in between. I am your host, Fanula J. I hope you're well. You're looking great. Did you do something new with your hair? I like it. It's working. Hope you enjoyed my last episode on Are You The One With Max Zanga? What a summertime capsule that was. Also, inevitably, talking about Love Island. It haunts me everywhere I go. It's the shadow that follows me. I can't escape it. Please let me know if you've watched Are You The One UK since and if I need to watch any more of the other series, please let me know. Flopculture underscore pod on the socials. HelloFlopCultureGmail.com is the email. But enough of that. We've got a lot of news and reviews to get into before this week's flop. So let's not delay. Billie Eilish and Jesse Rutherford have gone red carpet official after already going public with their romance this week. They stepped out in matching designer pyjamas at the 11th annual LACMA Art and Film Gala at Los Angeles County Museum of Art earlier this week. LACMA sounds like something I would go to the doctor about, but ho-hum. And for their first red carpet appearance together, she's obviously worked very closely with Gucci before, so they were wearing these matching Gucci pyjamas, like sliders, you know, the whole lot. They were in, in this monogrammed, like, blanket and, like, he was kind of pretending to fall asleep and they were like, ha ha, lol. It was very much, as much of a public display of affection as it was, it was very much also a display of we are together and we do not care what anyone says. I mentioned that they'd already gone public with the romance. They'd been spotted together going to one of these haunted Halloween-y night things. And then for Halloween, they kind of stirred up even more controversy because she dressed up as a baby and he dressed up as an old man. Why is that controversial? Well, Billy herself is 20 years of age and Jessie is 31, which is really, really interesting, isn't it? Um, I mean, this is a tricky one because the more you explain it, if you have to explain that something isn't wrong, it doesn't necessarily make it not wrong. Does that make sense? She is obviously of legal age. She is an adult now. That is still quite a sizable age difference. And it's interesting 
because, well, actually, interesting is completely the wrong word to use here. I suppose the reason why fans are, look, it's natural that fans would want to be protective of Billy. She had a past relationship that was documented in her Apple TV Plus documentary that didn't go particularly well. He didn't treat her very nice. We've watched her grow up in the public eye. She's come out and spoken about how she's been sexualized by the media and how frustrating that has been and debilitating, yada, yada. Um, she's one of the biggest pop stars in the world, has a huge fan base, a hugely loyal fan base. It's understandable that people would want to be protective of her. But I suppose what's really kind of stuck in people's craw with this is that he's known her since she was underage cuspy. There are photos of them together from when, from when she was 17, which would have been three years ago, which still would have only made him... Why am I making myself do math on this podcast? He would have been 28. Also, for background on him, he's the lead singer of The Neighbourhood. That one, they have one song. It's the TikTok Tumblr song. Because it's too cold. Actually, I actually like that song, but now he's kind of ruined this for me. Um, I suppose for Billy then, it's understandable why she would want to react in this way because, you know, she is an adult... I can understand that it must be very frustrating because we will never know the intimate details of their relationship. I don't want to know the intimate details of their relationship. Um, I can understand her frustration and wanting her to lash out and being like, here you go. Here we are. We're together. Suck it. But I, I don't really know my point of this segment other than if you are, I don't think there are any very young people listening to me. To be honest, if you are, welcome. You must be lost. But anyway... I would just be like, if if older men are interested in you, there's a reason for it. And it's not really, unfortunately, the reason you think. And also, like, if you're this age and your biggest concern is, where are we going X night a week? Do I need to go to this lecture? Blah, blah, blah. And his is, am I paying enough into my pension? You don't need to be hanging out together. Now, having said that, there's never a bad age to start a pension. Start a pension whenever you want. But I'm just... How much will a 31-year-old have in common with a 20-year-old? You know? You know? That's all I'm saying. And we all go through it, I think, particularly as young women. We've all... And that's another... Celebrity Remember Book Club talked about this briefly on their Patreon, which I really recommend subscribing to if you haven't already and you're a fan of them they kind of briefly touched on it and they taught, they touched on the experience of, and obviously this isn't for, I don't mean to make massive generalizations, but I think this is something that a lot of young women can relate to. Being that young woman and getting with someone that is a little bit older and thinking, you know, you know better and uh, not even necessarily that you can change them if they're some like corrupt individual, whatever, but just thinking, I suppose, that you know better and that you've nothing to learn from this and like, it's obviously grand, whatever. And sometimes it is. Please don't message me if you are happily married to someone who you got with at whatever age. Happy for you, not applicable to you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's, you can't, you can't say anything to them. You can't say anything to these women. You can't say anything to these people. They just have to do it and learn through it. I really hope she doesn't. I hope there's nothing to learn from this other than they all have a great time and it all ends up happily ever after. But it's just, you can even see with some of the comments on his behaviour on the red carpet. And I suppose there's another power dynamic to look at in the sense that she is 
much more famous than him and whether he's using that to leverage his status. He's just out of a long-term relationship with another influencer girly whose name escapes me but is very well known online if you are younger and more on the pulse than me. But yeah, it just brought me back to those times where, you know, I was like trying to do my document for my French oral and I was trying to get with men or talk to men who, you know, like respectfully needed to go back and apologize to their mom for things, you know, you know. So basically all I'm saying is if you are of a certain age, like I know teenage boys are another issue, but like at the very worst, they're like a bit smelly and a bit naive, you know. You don't want to be carrying that into an older man in his 30s who is smelly naive and doesn't doesn't seem to want to hang around with people his own age. You know what I mean? Wants to talk to girlies about euphoria. That, fla- that flag's looking mighty red. That flag is looking mightily red. Some other fan made a connection between... Uh, one of Billy's songs, before I move on, one of Billy's songs, NDA, and his song, Pretty Boy. There's a, li- and I, th- I think this is a stretch. I don't, I'm not fully entrenched in the Billie Eilish fandom or the neighborhood fandom if they have one, lol. Um, but anyway, on NDA, she talks about moving into this house and she's 17 and she mentions, references this pretty boy. She hasn't had anyone, had anyone over to party, but she's had this fellow over, made him sign an NDA when he left, right? And then they have another song, the neighbor of a song that I think is called Pretty Boy. So people were like connecting lines there as to whether there was something nefarious there. Anyway, avoid older men. Avoid men. It's good blanket advice, isn't it? People who could do with taking that blanket advice are maybe all of the women on Love is Blind bar Alexa. I am all caught up, so spoilers ahead if you have not finished Love is Blind season three. Uh, a very good season, I think. Much better than last season. I think the cast was way stronger. I think they all really, really wanted to get married um, in comparison to the last season. I think it was easier to root for people, therefore, because of that. And as much as it was a frustrating watch occasionally because of, you know, the things they talked about and the discussions they had, like the abortion discussion made me want to, you know, like, you know, when you get that bit of skin at the end of your nail, I wanted to rip that off until all of my skin started unraveling and I was just a sack of arteries sitting in my sitting room. Uncomfortable, but that's kind of what makes this show good is we'd never get I don't really get discussions like that or see discussions like that on other reality TV shows and I thought it was handled quite well I thought the reunion was very good very healthy I feel bar the last scene we'll talk about that in a second and I will credit where it's due as much as I wish Nick and Vanessa Lachey the hosts didn't lean into like the humour I think that's where it kind of falls down they do have a thing where it makes them feel very comfortable and very open to talking about things. Now, I'm sure Shake on the last season disagrees. But anyway, so in terms of who got married, I mentioned Alexa and Brennan already. Obsessed with them. If they split up, I am going to run away. Like they are just, I really didn't get, when I talked about this on my Instagram, people were very critical of her. And I just, I don't get it. I'm really, like, she even addressed it herself in the reunion about how, like, she shows love and, like, watching it back, she found it, like, quite awkward because it just, it, she was like, it really just seems like I'm not as into him and it's it's just not that. Um, but I think there was, 
I think there was a little bit of internalized fat phobia there from some people who were like, she's too confident, she's too cocky, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I know, and like some people were, when we were doing my final predictions on my Instagram story, it's Afnila J, if you don't follow, people were talking about the fact, you know, that he was going to struggle with taking care of her and stuff and like the religion thing and stuff. None of that ever came up. And like, it didn't matter because they ended up getting married. And it was great. I was delighted. I was so delighted. Um, so got that right. Going into this episode, I was really nervous about Nancy and Martise because it really seemed like they were going to get married. And thank God they did not. Bartise, I just, I do not understand him. He's very young. And I always, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt going on to these shows because I will never do a show like this. I have no idea what it's like to do a show like this. 25 is obviously still very young. But I think Nancy was dead right calling him out in the fact that he sent the shot before they got married. Like, while I ultimately ultimately believe they should never have gotten married and the right thing happened, I can imagine being Nancy and being like, what in the actual Christ? Especially if she had gone to him and been like, don't blindside me, which is what she said. She said, I, like, if, if it was a no, grand, but just don't blindside me. And she did. Then her family are getting involved. They're getting all up in Martise's grill and Martise is like, to, his, to her younger brother and her mom, and he's like, I don't know any of you, an explanation, blah, blah, blah. And it's, that is the one thing I did like about this season as well, because the one thing I found hard was the fact that they're all led to this final day where, and I know that's the whole premise, like, can you marry someone? Sight unseen, as all of the priests and rabbis and various religious leaders say, religious leaders, whatever, the people in charge of the, the equivalent masses. Anyway, they all say that. I know the point is that they have to get married or they had, there has to be a choice about getting married at the end. But what bothered me about the past seasons was like, you're telling me you're dragging your mom, dad, granny, uncles, cousins, whatever. And I know all the families don't always turn up. But you're telling me you drag them out for this big day. They're all getting dressed up. They've taken annual leave. They're hoping for a turkey or ham situation, you know? Like, they're like, here we are. They're The bets on the speeches. Here we, here we, here we fucking go. And then for it all to change imminently as you step on the altar, you know? That kind of bothered me. I liked it this season because I liked seeing the families kick off and being like, what a colossal waste of my time I could have been doing anything else. I could have been doing anything else. You've dragged me to this gazebo and Netflix are here and they're filming me. I am going to kick off. So I did appreciate that. Um, he's a freak. Bertie's the freak, sorry. Um, I do think he came across better in the reunion slightly and I think he I think he gets it and I think he's grown and I think he gets it in a way that some of maybe the other lads haven't speaking of the other lads <sighs> Cole and Zeneb I mean like actually maybe I'll get to them when we talk about the reunion but they didn't get married obviously then we had Colleen and Matt which was just like I could not care less about them now and I'm angry that they did in fact get married. I'm angry that it was them, but in a way I shouldn't be surprised. It just like, when she, when Colleen was at the altar and she was like, I was just looking for like a male best friend, like a best friend. I was looking for a male Colleen. I've never met two people less compatible, less, and I know he's come from a really difficult situation of being previously married. The girlfriend got, engaged, uh, got pregnant, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He clearly has massive trust issues, but I'm just looking at Colleen and I'm like, you need to get on those pretty point shoes and you need to pirouette into the fucking sky away from this man. This man has, does something with space. He's an aeronaut something. And he can't, it, it boggles my mind. Anyway, they got married. Don't care about them. 
anyway, uh, who else is left then? Zen Abba and Cole were talking about the end. We talked about Anthony Bertiz, Alexa and Brennan. Who else didn't get married? XK and Raven. I was devastated. I think this was another thing that I liked about this season was that usually it's fairly cut and dry. It's usually, I think it's, with the last season, it was quite predictable who was going to work out and who wasn't. And I also think once you made your mind up about a person on the show, they were made up. I had a total 180 on Raven. I really didn't initially gel with Raven. And then seeing her vulnerability on the wedding day, like they are clearly into each other. I kind of feel like she suffered a bad edit. At, at the, maybe not even a bad edit, but it was just, it was weird seeing her actually, like I think they, I think they had the best journey, the worst word, word in the world. But seeing them kind of work through their issues was very satisfying. I think he's very genuine and I think she is as well. On Like, I don't think there's any on-screen persona kind of vibe. Um, again, I don't know how SK's mom didn't clatter someone because I, like, again, oh, I, I think I was surprised it was him that said no. I thought it would be from her just because of all the emphasis on family and the Nigerian culture and the traditions and everything else. But... As we learned in the reunion, their journey's not over. They're knocking boots. They're still seeing each other. He's in grad school. They're living their best life. They're making it work. If they break up, I will also run away. Um, so they're still together. Cole and Zenab. Okay, so with regards to the wedding, again, it's interesting because in the lead up to those weddings, sometimes they're not that interesting. I usually scrub forward when they're, you know, they're doing the walk up the aisle bit or everyone's going in to take their seats. But the, for, but the beforehand, the editors do a really good job of kind of leading you to believe that someone's going to say yes or no. Like even with the the way they were talking, to take SK and Raven as an example again, when they were talking on the altar, it, I was just like, there's no way anyone's going to say no here. With Zenab, it really seemed like she was really excited to see Cole, really excited to see his reaction, was just excited to be getting married and the wedding and stuff. But at one point, her and her stepmom had this exchange where, I'm now I'm paraphrasing her, where she was like, you need to tell the truth, say your truth, whatever. And then she gets up and she sets Cole ablaze, like fire hazard. It was... I mean... Was she wrong in anything? I suppose no, because she's talking about how, I'm going to paraphrase here again, but the main thing was that he, well, I think she actually did say this, that he destroyed her self-esteem and that there is a woman out there who's capable of loving him and she knows who she is or like the kind of love that he needs, I think is actually more uh, accurate in terms of what she said and was just basically like, I don't think you're a bad guy, blah, 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 blah. And like, I am i can't do it justice. Just go watch it. She torches him alive, alive. She steps off the altar. Her family like clap. It's a bit, or her, or her friends. It's a bit awkward. She runs out. She's like hyperventilating. It's very, it's very awkward. And there's a part of me that was like, did you wait till the end so you could say this and have this moment? He's devastated. He's not expecting it. He's like really embarrassed with regards to his family and stuff, whatever. You get to the reunion then. There's not a, like, I did think the reunion was good, but I don't think there's a, anything hugely bombshell other than this moment. Colleen apologizes about the pool party. They talk about the pool party. There's reference made to the abortion discussion. But the real kind of, I suppose, fought, like the main thing with the reunion is Cole and Zenab. And it's about their relationship and it's about the aftermath of the 
the wedding and stuff. So like they're talking about it, they they watch their clips and it's all about like the disorganization, how messy Cole was and how frustrating Zenab found that. And then Zenab basically rolls out these kind of other accusations relating to the fact that he was being really, you know, in terms of her self-esteem and stuff, that he was trying to dictate what she was eating, that he was, like, making lots of remarks about how she looked and her appetite and stuff. And there was another incident that is kind of less relevant, but apparently at the bachelorette party, where he admitted to almost kissing a girl, wanting to kiss a girl, or, sorry, at their bachelor party, I should say. Uh, Zainab said that Cole said this to her, that it wasn't like third-hand information. He's fully denying that this conversation ever happened, that the incident ever happened. Nobody else in the room can seemingly back it up. Matt was saying he went home, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He didn't, but that doesn't mean that he didn't see it. Uh, Brennan was like, I was too drunk, whatever. I can't remember what the others said. But going back to this moment about the self-esteem, like she really, again, kind of goes in on him. And he's like, again, still kind of devastated. He denies the accusations about her, be, about him being controlling over food and like making remarks like that and uh, about like her weight and everything like that. He's devastated. He said he didn't reach out after the wedding because she thought he thought she would. Um, and because she didn't, he wanted to respect that space. And he was like, and it was also like, I've clearly been fooled. Like she's clearly, he was just, he doesn't understand, right? Is the bottom line. Denies everything else. Zenab makes reference to a specific example when uh, she was eating like satsumas, like oranges or something. And she went and started peeling one. And he was like, I'm paraphrasing her slightly, but she's she said that he said, you're not going to eat both of those, are you? And it's, it's not, and like, again, he's in total denial. He's like, if you have the footage, roll it out. Like, that's not what I said. I didn't say that etc etc and that happens in the middle of the reunion and we kind of you know uh they, they, we go through the whole rest of the rigmarole nick and vanessa ask if anyone has regrets and cole is the only one who says he regrets kind of doing it and it's the in vanessa's like this the first time we've heard this in three seasons and he gets a very emotional then and is just like he's is apologetic again for if he made Zenab feel this way about her body and everything else, blah, blah, blah. And Zenab's like, despite everything, I'd go through it all again with you. I only wanted to do it with you. Even knowing the outcome, I still would have done it, done it with you. I don't think you're a bad person. I just think you treated me badly, right? So then the reunion ends. And I'm like, why is there like four minutes left? So they have this scene where Zenab is eating the Satsumas. So she, they, and they're having conversations about how they'd meet, the conversation is around, they're, they have a dinner reservation they have to go to, but the conversation is around a call meeting the rest of Zenab's family that are based in the UK and how they're going to make that work. They're talking about that. She's kind of eating things from the cupboard and they're sharing whatever that is initially. It's like a crisp or sweet or something, I don't know. And then she grabs a satsuma. They call them something different in the, in the States. A, a small orange, anyway, right? A, an easy peeler orange. She grabs one and she starts peeling it and he does say, he's like, are you going to, are you going to eat both of those? Cause that's what she said. She was having two oranges and he was like, are you going to eat both of those? And she was like, yeah, that's the serving suggestion. So we see that play out on the camera and his, his thing is like, we have a dinner reservation. You don't want to ruin your appetite, right? 
um, and he's kind of making reference to like the fact that they're having a massive meal and then he's kind of interrogating why she's doing this um, or I think she's like I have I have uh, I have my reason no actually I, I don't want to misquote her but he asked her if she's doing it like for the wedding like for her wedding bot in inverted commas and she's kind of like yeah like kind of as in she's kind of hinting that there's more to it than that um but it was an interesting scene and to be honest I thought it was a bit I kind of wish they'd showed it during the reunion so they could all see it and all be aware of the full context but at the same time like I've asked on my own Instagram stories kind of what people's impressions were of that moment because I went away from it kind of thinking there's a part of me that's like I don't really think Cole was coming across as harsh in that particular scene as Zenab was leading people to believe but on the other hand, I'm not Zenab. I've never been in a situation like this. Intent, you know, just because your intention is good doesn't mean the impact doesn't, isn't still felt, especially when it comes to things like food, eating, body image. I doubt this was an isolated incident. If, you know, that's a big thing to lie about if Zenab was lying about it, which to be honest, I don't think she was. Um was it her own insecurities that she was also projecting? Um, because there's a part of me that just feels like maybe Cole said a lot of this shit harmlessly. Men can be just as indoctrinated by diet culture and, you know, anti-body positivity and stuff. I think it's more complicated than someone, one person being right and one person being wrong. But I think Zainab's, you have to acknowledge Zainab's feelings regardless um, I did just think it was a bit kind of weird and manipulative that it wasn't actually shown within the reunion and that it was kind of left for us. And I know they do it on purpose. They do it so that we'll all talk about it now and we'll all debate about it. But um, the kind of initial reactions from people were, let me bring this up here. Hang on one sec. Yeah, a lot of people seem to be on Cole's side. Someone said Cole and the Mandarin. So glad they showed it. Um Bartise was too flipping rude to Nancy's mom. This is a separate thing, but I actually agree with that. And also, I think Bartise was, there was, to go back to Bartise and Nancy very quickly, um, there seemed to be a thing where Bartise was shagging some other doll after the experiment finished. And then he was like, I don't want to talk about sex on the show. I don't want to talk, why you make me talk about sex? And the girls were like, nobody's making you talk about sex, but like you were seen on social media with this other gal like a couple of days after the wedding. You know, what's the crack there? What's going on there, you know? Uh, someone said, ah, I don't know what to think. That's kind of where I'm at as well. Someone said, nearly died when I saw the cuties scene incoming. That's what they call them, cuties. They're just oranges, for God's sake. Shook Ari Cole then up. I think because of her lack of self-esteem, they never had a chance. I think that's a factor, but I, do, I don't think it's just that. I think, I say this respectfully and not in a funny disparaging way. They all need to go to therapy or go to more therapy if they haven't been to, because I think she obviously has insecurity issues I think she can be very passive aggressive you've someone like Cole then though you cannot just come out and be like accuse someone of being bipolar it's because some because the conversation isn't going your way and to be honest as much as I still agree with the statement I think everyone could benefit from therapy you know what I mean I also just think it comes down to an issue of two people being extremely incompatible like and it's not an issue of you know personal faults on either side it's just they're two very specific very different people you know so surprised that Colleen and Matt said yes I thought she had no intention of it I was the same 
Alexa and Brennan are good. Matt and Colleen are doomed. I agree. How is Cole the bad guy and not Bartice? That's a fair point. Uh... Someone said, I am shook. I love that they didn't let Cole away with it though. So often they play two cutes at the reunions. I also agree with that. That's I like, I think it was, a, I think everyone was held accountable, but in a polite, as polite and a respectful way as possible. Because at the end when Cole is getting very emotional, before we saw the scene with the cutesy oranges, whatever the fuck they're called, he's like crying and he's saying that he really, that he's, he wants to change and he wants to maintain good relationships with everyone in the room and, you know, people who've kind of been snippy throughout, like, Ale- well, I don't mean snippy. I think they kind of rightfully called, call out on stuff like Alexa and Brennan around his language and other things. They were all kind of receptive to it. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I need after the altar not to be shite. I need Alexa and Brennan to stay together. Uh, let me know what you think about, I suppose, mainly that Colin Zenab situation and the orange scene. Flop culture underscore pod, you know where I am. At Fanula J as well. I've started buying Beverly Hills. I've only watched the first episode. I like it so far. You got Ali Lutz. We love a Hills connection. Uh, I think, I said this on my Instagram stories. Now, I'm only one episode in, I will say. I think you will enjoy it more if you watch Housewives. I think if you don't watch Housewives, there's kind of nothing there. There's not as much there for you, in my opinion. Um, if you've watched further, please let me know because I really don't want to waste my time if it's shite. And I'm loving I'm a Celeb. Devastated that Olivia Atwood is gone. My Love Island queen. But I think the cast is really strong. I love Chris. I think Chris is really funny. I think Owen is really funny. But the more people I talk to, the more people are divided on Owen. Some people don't like the... They think it's a bit of a dumb guy shtick. But I think he's funny. Uh, Who else is in there that I like? I love Jill. I love Jill and Owen's little double act. That's my favourite thing, like getting to know people who I wouldn't, like I'm going to be honest, I didn't know Jill Scott of the Lionesses before going into this. I didn't know your Aunt Owen from Hollyoaks whose second name escapes me right now. Um, I think we've got a good a good mix. Uh, love seeing Baba Tunde do that trial. I am recording this ahead of time, so I'm not, this is ahead of Matt Hancock going in and Sean Walsh, which is just incredible. Sean Walsh thanking his lucky stars that he's going in the same day as the most hated man in Britain. Like Sean's like, okay, I lobbed the gob one time. Marley, not great. Matt Hancock, kind of d- blood on his hands, maybe? Ideal. I look like Mother Teresa. I'm looking forward to seeing that play out. Uh, another thing I watch, watch a lot of things this week. Selena Gomez, my mind and me. I wanted to watch this because there was a lot of other kind of, I suppose, fallout and celebrity chatter off the back of the documentary. It's on Apple TV Plus. And it kind of follows her. It's a documentary about her, her mental health. And it covers, I think it starts from 2016, kind of as recently up until the pandemic. And let me, I'll start, before I get into like the friend drama, let me start with, the good things first or what I enjoyed about it I think she comes across really well in it um, comes across very sympathetic I think it's really important I obviously think it's so important to highlight mental health I think not especially but I do think with famous people and I suppose in her particular situation someone who had been followed as closely had been commented on like as much from such a young age, I think it's really important that we are aware because some people aren't uh, to see what's going on behind the scenes and how much, like it's not, being famous 
it makes a lot of other things easy, but there are so many difficult aspects to it. I think people are very quick to jump back to the easy things. Obviously, you have access to resources like never before, financial resources predominantly, but there are still enormous downsides to it. And then you add in the issue of maybe suffering with health issues, being known to that degree from such a young age for so long with no real escape and with her knowing that she wanted to do good and wants to be involved in philanthropy but will always have this kind of long shadow. It's hard to watch her struggle when she does struggle. Um, I, I suppose my other issues with it are kind of not actually really directly related to her. It's about how it's made. I think it's it lacks structure in a massive way I don't think, obviously I know the core theme is because it's Selena, my mind and me. It's about her mind, it's about her mental health, it's about her mental health journey. The timeline is very all over the shop, I felt. And it just kind of felt like they had, how many years is it since 2016? Like six years of footage that they just needed to pull together into a 75 minute or whatever it ended up being documentary and it just felt slightly all over the place. And I'm still not really sure what the overall point was, to be completely honest. And I think that's, that's the director's fault more than anything and the editor's. Um, I have questions around her circle and who appears in the documentary. Raquel Stevens is one who's coming up a lot on social media and the general discussion around the documentary. She's like one of Selena's best friends, but she comes across very unsympathetic throughout the documentary. Um, I there's a part of me that questions why those scenes were let in, left in. Like in one in one sense, you you see her rehearsed for that AMA's performance of "Lose You to Love Me," and it's so bad, it's so bad. And anyone with a bigger ego wouldn't have left that in. I appreciated that as a fa- as. I wouldn't even consider myself a big fan. Revival is a very good album though, listen to it. I don't even consider myself a fan, actually, really, to be honest. Anyone with a bigger ego would not have left that in. But then there were some things like this and the fandom has pointed out that on her cooking show, Selena and Chef, Raquel has appeared on that as well and she doesn't come across well on that either. And people have questioned her motives around her, how good of a friend she is, Right. And there were initial, t- and then there were initial things like, but why, why does she sign off and she's an executive producer? She's actually not. She is in the credits with, as like a special thanks to Raquel Stevens, but she's not, uh, she's not an executive producer. Another TikTok theory that I've kind of fallen down, I've chosen to believe is that she's actually a rep for Hillsong, which is the mega church that Selena was, potentially is, maybe still involved with, not sure. Uh, her mom is Heidi Stevens and she works on the pastoral care team for Hillsong. So the TikTok area that I'm choosing to believe now is that she was kind of, that she has been in Selena's life for that long and features so heavily in the movie as kind of a rep for her and to, I suppose, make sure that she was, rep- make sure that Selena was representing the church in a good way. Um, it's very... It's, there's a couple of instances where it's like, I cannot believe you are friends with this girl if you really are because she just, she walks into rooms like she owns the place as if she's not on Selena's paycheck. She 
uh, at points where she's like really struggling. She's trying to get her to, or not even that she's really struggling, but Selena's like very heavy, busy work wise. And your one's trying to get her to go to this birthday party and is being kind of very um, gaslighty, passag about the fact that she's not going and stuff and saying that she's complaining about work, which like, again, Selena is entitled to do. Famous people are entitled to do that, but just don't do it to us because we have enough on, you know what I mean? Um, and then I suppose this friendship in inverse commas has kind of highlighted a gap in the documentary uh, which some suggest should have been filled by Selena's friend Francia Reza. So she was the her long, Selena's long-term friend and kidney donor. So when Selena was battling her lupus she needed a kidney transplant and her friend Francia stepped up, offered her the kidney. They went under the transplant process in 2017. Um, they, I, I don't think they've been kind of friends since and I have my own theories for that and I'll get back to it. But basically, she's not mentioned in the documentary. The kidney transplant is, again, in another weird scene where Selena is visiting an old family friend, an old friend from the neighbourhood and... That scene is so weird. She like, it, they clearly knew they were filming, but she goes up, it, it's this, this elderly couple, right? And she used to call over to the house with her, her neighbours, cousins, whatever. Because they had a dollhouse in the house they, that they used to play with, whatever. And your man answers the door, the husband. And it kind of seems like he's being caught off guard, but I doubt he is for how big of a documentary this is and how big a star Selena is, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, that interaction is really weird. She goes into the house. She meets the wife who she would have been like better friends with as a kid. The the old lady she used to call to and, and she used to make cookies and stuff, blah, blah, blah. It just, it all feels very for the camera in a way that makes me uncomfortable. But she's kind of, she's. I'm pretty sure she mentions the kidney transplant there in discussion with her because the woman she's speaking to also isn't in great health. But Francie isn't mentioned by name. And then in a Rolling Stone interview, I think to promote this documentary, Selena said that Taylor Swift was her only friend in the industry, right? Um, and this has been obviously aggregated by loads of sites and shared across social media. And she commented on, it was the E! News post about it. She commented and said, interesting. And people have since copped that she has unfollowed Selena. Now, that's not a good test of things because she might never have been follow following Selena, but... The question then would be, why would you not be following your friends, you know? Um, I think it's a decent enough question mark to have over it. Uh, yeah, so Selena's exact quote was, I never fit in with a cool group of girls that were celebrities. My only friend in the industry really is Taylor. Uh, some people have said she meant the music industry, whatever, whatever. Like people are trying to split hairs to mean that she meant Francie or whatever. And then since then, Selena has been, I think she left a comment on a... TikTok in which she said, sorry, I didn't mention every person I know. So, yeah, things are not good for them. There are like a lot of heavy, heavy rumors that come with a lot of alleged information around, you know, Selena's health struggles and how much of that might have been related to alleged drug addiction. She's been in and out of treatment centers kind of throughout this latter half of her career. And she's always said it was for things like exhaustion and everything like that. Um, there are other allegations and suspicions that it might have been drug abuse and some people reckon that that's actually the real reason reason why Francie isn't friends with her because, you know, 
she donated the kidney and Selena was still allegedly struggling with substance issues and stuff like that. This is all alleged. If you were into fluently for, forward and blind items, you already know this. She does kind of half address the drug issue allegations in the documentary. But when I was looking into it, like it's kind of mentioned in, she does that thing of doing a, you know, they take clips of like, Selena Gomez is back with new music after seven years. It's like the news clips. Yeah, so she's been to like four different treatment centers since her early 20s. Um, and I think she ended up, and this is covered in the documentary as well, her battle with uh, psychosis. And she talked about, I think, having to be come off the... Uh, detoxing off of certain medications for her bipolar and stuff. That's referenced in the documentary. Nothing else is. I think it's just interesting. Just another example of why children should not allowed to be famous. When I said this on my Instagram, Louise O'Neill rightly pointed out that it, the issue isn't children getting famous. It's children being abused by people in the fame system, which I agree with. And I think is actually a better point. Um, Sadly, though, I kind of don't think the doc is like massively worth watching unless maybe you're a big, I don't know, unless you're a big fan. But by that token, I think you've probably already watched it, to be honest. Um, what else do we have this week? Back to the Beach podcast, if anyone listens to that. Kristen Cavallari and Stephen, whatever the hell his name is, Stephen Coletti. Uh, Lauren Conrad joined them on the season finale of season one of their podcast and they shot the shit about a lot of things they kind of shot the shit about a lot of things and shot the shit about kind of nothing really at all um she lauren revealed that uh when she got covid and had to quarantine that's when she watched laguna beach back in full uh, and then it was originally she would only watch parts with her she would only watch parts because she was watching with her parents um and then she said she would skip over like other people. She would only watch her parts, which is kind of funny, lol. Um, she also revealed that she was also hooking up with Talon, which is gas. Uh, it wasn't just Kristen. Everyone was hooking up with Talon. He made a very funny TikTok today where he was doing, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me, which I liked. Uh, when asked about whether she liked the way she was portrayed in the show, she said that they took a very small piece of her and used it that she had several boyfriends during her senior year, but they didn't show it. And they just kind of kept on with the love triangle story. Um, bloody bloody blah, it's not really massively interesting. Uh, herself and Kristen apologized to each other for calling each other sluts, but they basically said their entire contention was from a slight flare up before like winter formal that just kind of, because they started filming a week after formal, it was the only reason that the drama carried on. Uh, they said the last time they hung out, they had the best time. It was hanging out at Doug Reinhardt's house, but they didn't say how long it was. So probably several years ago. Kind of not that interesting, but like a thrill to see them all together in a way. You know what I mean? It just scratches that part of my brain. Also, Lauren, Lauren's voice sounds incredibly strange. Did, I, was get, I was getting like AI deep take vibes, but anyway. I haven't listened to the Glee podcast. I was going to try and cover for this, but... I've spent too long talking about Love is Blind. Uh, it's that podcast, That's What You Really Missed. I know Ryan Murphy was on the first episode with uh, the two actors whose names are escaping me now. But anyway, I will listen to that next week. Should I? Should I not? Let me know. 
flatculture underscore pod. Hello, flatculture at gmail.com. Before we talk flaps, I meant to talk about this last week really quickly. And this isn't going to be an interest to a lot of people. It's kind of not of interest to me because I don't watch the show. But in terms of like mad recasting news, it's kind of strange. This is actually related to the flap this week. So I wanted to cover it. I forgot about it last week. But Liam Hemsworth is taking over from Henry Cavill in Netflix's The Witcher after two seasons, which is kind of mad considering how big of a series that was and how well received it was many people were watching it Henry was a huge fan of the the books is it based on a book or a game I should have checked that it's all it's all elves to me it's all elves to me baby they're probably not even elves he's white hair I don't know um people thought it was because he was really recommitting to the Superman stuff but it's actually also because he didn't like the way the series was going didn't really appreciate the direction which love that tea. Would be interesting to see if Liam can step into these boots. Any of the fan art that I've seen, he's just he's given me angry evil Santa more than anything else. Um, does Liam Hemsworth have what it takes to be a leading man in this way? Especially when I think it's especially hard for him now because he's filling these massive mythical boots, so to speak. Um, but he's never really kind of nailed it in that way. He's always been second fiddle, except for our flop this week. On flop culture this week, uh, it's probably the only flop this season that I genuinely did not enjoy, which put my guest in a very interesting position as I'm not sure he did either. As far as action sci-fi sequels go, this one isn't exactly out of this world despite a stacked cast and an enormously beloved predecessor. Joining me to discuss it is Entertainment.ie's movies editor, Brian Lloyd. Uh, We are indeed talking about Independence Day Resurgence. Brian Lloyd, thank you so much for joining me on Flop Culture this week. Thank you. Um, what did you pick? Ind- <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. Um, Independence Day Resurgence from 2016. Okay. Why? <laughs> okay. I have a history with this film. Okay. I have a long history with it. And uh, pull up a pew, listener, and let me tell you my tale. <laughs> Um, so it was a balmy, lovely uh, summer's day in 2016. Right. I was in uh, Cineworld on Parnell Street, called for the press screening. Um, and... <sighs> okay. <laughs> okay, right, right. I'm living for you justifying this as someone who had to watch for this episode and was not best pleased. <laughs> okay, no, that's, no, this is the thing, right? Okay, here is the... Pr- okay. I think I saw this film in the best possible circumstances. Okay. Like, the best possible circumstances. I was in a great mood walking into the cinema. Mm-hmm. It was a lovely summer's day. I had the rest of the day off. I sat down. I was, I'd got a, got a full eight hours sleep, uh, which is rare for me going to a uh, press screening. And thoroughly enjoyed my two hours or whatever it was in the cinema. Got up. Walked out of it, and I was stopped by the, the, the publicist in the way. She said, what did you think? And I was like, brilliant, fantastic, absolutely loved it. Great job. I'll run home and I'll write a review of it. Went to my desk, or got home, went to my desk, wrote the review, gave it four stars. I can't. Diddly. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Went, diddly, I, that's grand. Sent it off and didn't think any more of it. And then I started seeing other reviews coming in. And you used to write reviews for Golden Plec, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had it? Have you ever felt the sensation of, oh, sweet Jesus, I think I'm completely alone on this. And you're like, I love this and everyone else hated it. Yeah. Have you ever felt that? Yeah, I reviewed 
Ben Howard in the Olympia and it was like it was like a, it was a decent gig but sure. he'd been like I'd been to other shows on that tour right? and it had been like he'd been really fucking cranky like leaving really obvious songs off the set list like it wasn't really a vibe as the okay. kids would say sure. and then the Dublin show I don't know was it just Dublin was it the Irish crowd whatever but like everyone was on it someone in the crowd had a framed picture of Barry Manilow and was just like cheering with it <laughs> it was I still have to, I have to go back to that review to make sure that I didn't hallucinate that and right. I didn't um, and I just remember seeing like other reviews of other shows being like this was fucking te- like he is such a pernickety bastard yeah, like yeah, yeah. it was such a dour affair like really miserable like really cranky at the audience for talking and everything like that I was like was it just this one moment of magic or was I like was I drunk was I drunk like is it- no no okay, okay right now I, I want to delve into this a little bit were you okay. the only person there reviewing it this is the thing because I can I understand it yeah. I don't remember reading anyone else from Ireland reviewing that gig. See, that's the... Th- okay, see, and this is, again, this is the difference th- of okay. it. Because with a live review, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, a, a, a person or a band or a performer or whatever can do 10 shows. And those 10 shows could be completely different. So you could get, like, one review in Barcelona that's absolutely fucking incredible. And then you could get a review in London that's terribly shit. And then, like, the, the Dublin one you went and you say it was a vibe and it was great. But a film is... It's 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 crystallized. There's no like external factors. It's like exactly. it's there, you're getting quite literally what's on the screen and that's it. Correct. That's it. And it's basically every person sitting watching it has their own particular view. Now like, okay, there is a tendency for film critics, uh particularly male film critics, that there is an element of, oh, you have to be contrarian, you have to go against the grain, you have to be skeptical, you have to be kind of like turn your nose up at any kind of blockbuster or, you know, do you know mm-hmm. that sort of way? There is that thing of like, there has to be an element of like aloofness about it or whatever. I don't really subscribe to that at all. I, I think that's just so fucking contrived. But in saying that, most kind of contrarian kind of things is like a film that everyone loves and this one critic will hate it. The opposite end of the scale is is so fucking lonely. <laughs> it's so lonely that I was like, I mean... I, I I went and watched it again recently and I went and read my review of it and I've had to defend that review more than any other review I have ever written and probably ever will write, in fairness. Yeah. Um, and when I'm alone at night <laughs> and I doubt myself, I'm, I, I, I'm like... Shit, maybe it's maybe it wasn't that good. Is this the one that haunts you? Is this this is the one that haunts me? And it's it haunts me because I'm on record for so much. I like there is so much physical evidence of me defending this film that now I've convinced myself. Oh no, this film is amazing. Oh, I, these are all fucking wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. This film is twenty years. Prove me wrong. This will be this will be reevaluated in the way that nearly all films are reevaluated now. This will be like reevaluated up. It'll be a modern classic. This is like you know you, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm ahead of the curve on everyone. Right. And it's been like six years and it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so I got four years to convince everyone to get on my level. Okay. But starting here. Starting, starting this right podcast. now. Okay. This, is, this podcast right now. This is the turn this is the start back. start of the campaign. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Let's talk about the context around the films. This is obviously a sequel sure. to the 1996 Independence Day. Uh-huh. Will Smith, absolute mega blockbuster. Yes. The definition of blockbuster. Sci-fi, aliens, people were absolutely eating that shit up. Yeah. Like how... 
how big was that gap in terms of, or I suppose, how high were the stakes for this movie and did this kind of set it up for I think a fall? It, I th- mm, that's interesting. I don't know if it was necessarily setting itself up for a fall. I do know like that at the end of the first Independence Day, research, at the first Independence Day, the, the one in 1996, I don't think there was a natural... Uh, I don't think there was a natural way of continuing it, if you know that sort of way. Because it's very clean and cut. It's like, kill the aliens, everyone goes, yay, freeze frame, and it's done. That's it. And what I actually, what I really enjoyed, and I am going to have to defend it now, but what I really enjoyed about Resurgence was, was that where the film opens up is that right at that moment, but like, it's the aliens have picked up that, oh no, they've actually got it. And it's taken them this amount of time to get to Earth to fight back. And, uh, yeah, so, like, in terms of, like, I, I guess, like, um, uh, you know, expectation in sort of out on the internet or whatever in kind of, you know, uh, pop culture kind of expectations, there were none. Because everyone was kind of like, really? They're making a sequel of Independence Day? Yeah, it wasn't a thing of, like, no. we were clamouring for the sequel. No. It was like, why Jesus. the fuck are we doing this? Because this actually decided. came at a time when there were loads of fucking sequels. Totally. Right and again, I think that, I again, I, I'm holding out hope that this is going to be reevaluated because this did come in the middle of complete and utter sequel fatigue. Like, there were so many sequels coming out. You had, like, Creed, you had The Force Awakens... Um, you Finding know, Dory yeah Finding Dory as well was another one and again like there, there was this thing of like there certainly was a fatigue of people are like there's just no fucking new ideas and we're just taking films from 20 years ago and giving them a sequel now in the case of like Creed it absolutely worked I thought Michael B. Jordan fantastic choice to play it great way of you know linking uh, you know Rocky into the story didn't feel forced Ryan Coogler did a brilliant job of it he's a really really strong director Finding Dory I loved it so good so good I mean, oh my god I need to watch that again and like I have not seen a film that has kind of treated the idea of raising a child with special needs in that because that's what that film really is about it's like how is it about, how does a parent kind of cope with the idea of their children is going to need more help in the world than others um, Force Awakens as well I loved it I thought it was great uh, yes it is a little bit of a rehash of the first one but what of it like it's space opera pop sci-fi pop thing like you don't need it to be fucking ridiculously brainy and by that token I thought in the, at least my initial reaction to it was this is of a similar vein to Force Awakens it's like you know taking the DNA of the original and transposing it onto a modern kind of context and then kind of having you know the kids of the people who survived it you know Will Smith's kid uh, the president's daughter they're all in it now they're all coming of age and yeah and I like I you're right. People weren't clamoring for it, but I I thought it still could stand on its own two feet. How wrong I was! Who came back from the first movie to be in this? Just uh, Bill, well, Bill Pullman and Brent Spiner and Jeff Goldblum. Will Smith wouldn't do it, and in fact, I was reading uh, they had to rewrite the entire film in two weeks when Will Smith said that he wasn't going to oh do it. Oh my god! Now, I can see your oh I can see the producer god. laughing, and you know a, a more kind of. Uh, uh, malignant kind of uh, read and this would be like yeah it fucking shows that they rewrote yes. it in two weeks yes I think it worked I think it worked I think it worked I think it worked can you try and explain it to the listeners and me because it's really going to seem like I didn't watch this I did I didn't have a fucking <laughs> breeze it was like well like I kind of had a breeze and I kind of didn't and you explaining it there so it's like okay it took <clears> them <throat> this long they yeah. figured it out 
they're back to fuck up the humans. Yeah. Like, it just, it felt like everything happened very quickly. Yeah. And I just wasn't really sure what to be afraid of. So what, what happens in Independence Day Resurgence? I aliens. Mean, it's basically, as I said, like the aliens uh, got the distress signal. At the end of Independence Day, the, the mothership blows up, crashes into Africa, um, or crashes in, basically they all kind of come crashing down basically all, all around the planet. And they send out a distress signal, which goes back to the alien home planet. Um, it takes the aliens uh, the better part of twenty years to get back to get to Earth. They have to, you know, travel through space to get there. Yeah. yeah. And they arrive, and the uh, Earth is now ready for them because Earth is basically, you know, uh, uh, they took like the they, alien technology exactly. and they've made it to like they've reinforced Earth. Correct. So it's like, should it happen again, we'll be we'll grand. be ready for them. Yeah. And everyone's kind of like gotten a little bit kind of complacent, and everyone's like, oh, they're not going to come. It's been twenty years; they haven't been here, but. You know, Bill Pullman, he's like, you know, got his beard now and he's gone all crazy and he's getting dreams in the middle of the night. He's all like, they're fucking out there, man. They're fucking out there. You weren't there, man. You weren't fucking there, man. And, you know, he's all like gone crazy or whatever. And then sure enough, the aliens, and it's all like, I was fucking right. And then it's all chaos breaks loose and the, you know, the Earth Defense Force has to get out there and, you know, fight them all off. And what's interesting about it is, is that like Micah Monroe... Um, she w- it was the president's daughter. She was an Air Force pilot, and now she's like working in the White House. And Will Smith's son, who's A Train and the Boys, just clocked that actually when I was watching it again recently. I was like, oh yeah, fuck, that's A Train. I haven't watched so the Boys like, yet. Have you not? Should I watch the Boys? Yeah. Okay, Adam's saying I should watch the Boys. You'd enjoy it. The boys. Okay. You would enjoy it. Um. So yeah, they basically have to band together with uh, the Lesser Hemsworth to fight off the aliens. Wait till when we get into him, he yeah. does not come out like... He doesn't at all, does he? I actually think that's one of my biggest issues with the movie because it's oh, like, yeah. I don't think he plays like goofy honk no. well. I think no. he just plays honk. Yeah. I just, I don't, but do you know... Like there's there's actors that do it well and like like him or fucking loathe him. I don't particularly like him. Yeah. But Chris Pratt is very good at that, I think. Yeah, yeah, fair. Do you, just, do you disagree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I mean, definitely in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's playing yeah, Goofy in Hulk. That, in yeah. that Star-Lord role. I'm trying to think who else. I just don't... When he's trying Ryan to... Ryan Gosling does a bit. Ryan yes, Reynolds does a bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's kind of bordering on tedious now, but like I, be, yeah. if it was him in that role, I'd believe it more. Sure. There was just something about him. He's making jokes about him when they almost fucking crash into something and he's talking about how he pissed his fucking suit or whatever. And I'm just like, no, you didn't. it's supposed to be a gag. And I'm like, no, you fucking didn't. Like, no, you didn't. I like, just, I feel like if they'd played it straighter. And yeah. again, that's the difficulty because it was like, they were obviously writing it with Will Smith comes back. And I yeah. think that would have been like more impactful. Whether yeah. it would have been a better movie, that remains to be seen. Well, that Those scripts would probably never see the light of day. Sure. But like, I just... I found it so hard to root for him or be worried yeah. at all because I was just like, I, d- I just didn't buy it and I no, just didn't I, buy him. No, I get that. Yeah, no, he definitely is the weak link. I'll, I'll freely admit that. And the whole thing that. is like, oh, the aliens killed my parents and it was like, well then, would you not take that and I don't know, channel it into being a bit more a bit more darker. Like, I can't deal with this like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, I'm, it's, I'm sexy and I love my, my fiance and I can't wait to come back to you after I kick these fucking aliens ass. Like, fuck 
off. Yeah, and like Fuck you're walking off. around with like your like your 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 t-shirt on and your dog tags, and you're all like, oh, I'm 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 just a bad boy, but like you know, I mean well. well. The floor here is really slippery, Commander. <laughs> That's why I fell over, and it wasn't that I just got punched. I know, like it's just yeah, like there's a real kind of like. I, and again, this is one of the things that I, I liked about the film, but I can see why people disliked it, is that it's so uh, it's so obvious, it's so on the nose, it's so kind of like not a hint of irony is there in this film whatsoever. It is so earnest. That's what I meant. It's so earnest. And the way that Liam Hemsworth plays it is so earnest that you're kind of like, come on, man, you gotta, you got to give me something to latch on to here a little bit. There's got to be something. You can either like play this in a very sort of over-the-top way or you can have a little bit more grit to it. Yeah, and like, let's, let's call a, a, a spade a spade here. He's not a good actor. Well, he's gonna, he's not he a good actor in, at all. Has he been in anything good bar the last song? You're no. going to disagree on the last song. Have you seen the last song? Is that the Nicholas Sparks one, yeah. is it? No, I didn't see that. It was he good? It was very good. Was it? Okay. Well, I mean, in the sense that, like, I watched it when I was fucking like eighteen or something, and it's him and Miley Cyrus, and they fall in love after, like, yeah, I get that. Sure, yeah, 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 I get that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see what that. What else yeah. is he in? He, Westworld? Was he in no, Westworld? No, it's the other Hemsworth. It's the further one down. The, there's another Hemsworth. There's another Hemsworth. Jesus Luke Hemsworth. Uh, there's Liam, which is him. There's Chris, which is Thor, and yeah. then there's Luke Hemsworth. Luke Hemsworth is the one that's in Westworld. He's like the elder brother. Um, that is so embarrassing for him. But he's, you know, in fairness, in fairness, I would actually say out of the three of them, Luke is actually the better actor out of the three of them. Right. Okay. Because like Chris Hemsworth is just like, he can only, you know, granted, he but plays... He's another one who can kind of only do himbo now. That's like. it. But he does it so well. He yeah. is the himbo. Like, that's, of the Chris's, he is the himbo. You know, like Chris Pine is the moody one. Chris Evans is the kind of the goofy one. Um, Chris Pratt is the, well he's the Jesus freak now but like you know the Luke evil Chris as we call him well yeah big bible basher Chris but oh. um, he but Luke Hemsworth is actually a really good actor and like he's really good in Westworld for what he does yeah like. so uh, okay, but sorry, yeah but what else is Liam in the only other thing I've seen him in that he was remotely in, I mean I say remotely good he wasn't even that good in it was like I think it was like The Expendables 3 yeah, that's oh the only thing I know him from is The Expendables 3. He's, oh, I'm, he was in the fucking Hunger Games! Yeah, but he's like not like, he's a bit player until oh, like yeah, the completely. last movie and a half. Like, And even at that, he doesn't have much of an impact in the whole thing, yeah. really. Like, he's very much... Uh, like, now, I would say in the Hunger Games, I think it's interesting because he is taking the role of a romantic interest which is, our, you know, for women are so normally underwritten. He now has that burden, if you know that kind of way, of an underwritten romantic interest in the, in the Hunger Games. But yeah, he's a complete non-entity in that film whatsoever, in, in, in totality. Expendables 2. Expendables 2. <laughs> oh, Not the third one, Correction. pardon me. Correct the record. Yeah. Okay, he's shit in this movie. Who do yeah. you think is good? I thought um, Bill Pullman was good in it, the president with the beard. He kind of plays crazy well. Yeah, I see, I see you making a face there. It's. I just kind of didn't buy that either. Like it really? all felt a bit like caricaturish in the way that you were doing the impression. For, do you know what I mean? Like it was just. 
I don't know. The one thing I will say is as well, any movie that has a madman president, I just know is going to be dog shit because it's like, and can I just, for the record, I believe in women in politics, I believe in women in leadership, <laughs> but like the minute you, the minute I hear madam president, I'm like, oh no, because they can't have, I just She's feel like, fuck up. I feel like they, yeah, they do it deliberately to yeah. be like, well, that's why we can never have a woman in charge because <laughs> the aliens came back. What other movie did they do it in? One of the purges. Yeah, there was a man and president was, there. I'm sure they have a fucking purge. And it was a fucking blonde. The, your one from um, Lost was the Madam President and that yeah. one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, okay. You think Bill Pullman does a good job? Like, I thought he did a good I mean, I thought he did a good job. I thought Jeff Goldblum was good in it as well. Now, look, Jeff Goldblum was one of those actors. When you see him in a film, you're not seeing a character. You're seeing Jeff Goldblum yeah. play the character. And I think in this, he was doing his best. Um, I thought he was you know, that kind of like funny, witty, wry, a little bit cynical, a little bit sarcastic. I mean, I know Jeff Goldblum is one of those people, he's an acquired taste. I do think he he's so kind of affected in his performance that it can be like, just, uh, what are you really at? Like, mm. what are you doing? Like, I remember when you were doing lotto ads, Jeff. Yeah. Don't think you're better than, <laughs> don't, think you're, don't think your shit doesn't smell like the rest of us. Like, you know what I mean? You were doing lotto ads 20 years ago. I fucking remember, like. Oh, I think that's another, kind of going back to Liam Hemsworth. I'm like, you have the comedic thing of him yeah. there. You don't need another one. You like. don't need to be, do you know, it felt yeah. like they were all trying to be funny. And it's like, this fundamental, like, this isn't a comedy. This yes. is, a disaster movie, yes. potentially. Like it's you can't be you can't be flippant about it. Like you can't be funny about it. Like there's literally hundreds of thousands of people dying. You can't just be sitting there quipping about it. Yeah, no, I get that. No, again, like I, I I'm defending this film. I can't really defend it. And I think this is the point. This is kind of again. I, I I'd love to hear what you think about this because like okay. So the so the job of a of a film critic, if you like. Is you're supposed to kind of go watch these films, be very critical and analytical of them. And I say critical, I mean in the sense of like, pull it apart so you can mm. put it back together on, on a page. Um, My, like, there are some films I'll go to and I'll have like a notepad or I'll have some kind of keeping notes with it because like something has picked up in my yeah. brain that I want to write about later. I want to remember or something like that. And then there are other films are like, don't need this, throw it over and I'm just going to sit it and take it in and then I'll walk out and read it or I'll walk out and write it. And I felt Independence Day Resurgence was one of those films that if you went out to meet it, if you met it halfway, you'd have a really, really good time with it. And I think if you saw it in the cinema, in an IMAX and, you know, you took it at that face value, it's a very, very enjoyable film. I think if you're watching it in the cold light of day with you know, the knowledge that this film was not well received and all of those things, I think it's very easy to come to the conclusion that you came to, if you know that sort of way. As in, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, I wish everyone got to see this film how I got to see this film. As in, in a great mood, in a brilliant cinema, with really, really great surround sound, and everyone walked out of it and had a great time. Because I honestly, I honestly, I honestly really believe that this film, if it got... If it got a slightly warmer reception, people would think of it better. Because, like, I have seen Marvel and DC films get, like, such a warm reception that I am like, were you watching the same film mm. that I was watching? Because this was muck. Yeah. And how can you look at a film like Independence Day Resurgence and say it's terrible and then look at something like Justice League? 
and tell me that there that that is better than this. It isn't. Not in my mind anyway. Yeah. You know? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The one, I, I, it was one of the things I was going to say was that I wish I had seen it in a yeah. cinema because it's just not... It, it doesn't translate to small a, screen at all. A, it's not a streaming not movie. Not in like, the it's slightest. Really, and I do think it looked... Like it looked in like the space. Yeah. It's not that I looked in this was like I don't believe it. It was more my issue was more with the cast. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Looking at it, it's very, it's very slick. The aliens are like quite scary. Yeah. And I was kind of like, I feel like I would have at least probably given it a good solid like day out three if there I'd seen go. it in a cinema and had a big bucket of popcorn. Yeah, that kind of and like I mean, look, I know that I know sometimes when you hear that, that's like you're thinking that's a cop out. Of a review, like to call but like, it. Not that's every movie, but yeah. not every movie is supposed to like ch- challenge. No. G- like what? That's why reality TV exists. That's why there's literally a whole genre built on like p- pure escapism. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what totally. this is in another sense. It's like inoffensive. Yeah. Like sci-fi. A, like and like I know I'll put and I'll even put another qualifier on it as well. Is it the fact that like you know. I I fucking love sci-fi. I fucking cannot get enough of it. Put a space up or put spaceships in space uh, with pilots and stuff like that, and already you're I'm I'm already on the way. Like you know that kind of way, and like you know, a, a film should be able to stand on its own if you're seeing it in a smaller scale. A, a good yeah. a, a good film should be able to do yeah. that. Like, you know, 2001, for example, or something like that. If you've never seen that in a cinema, you can still watch it at home on a, on, a, on your TV and it will still have the same impact. Uh, Star Trek began on TV and had all its impact on TV and then translated into film. Some would argue it didn't translate as well. Um, in saying that, you know, I think Independence Day Resurgence for all its faults. And I, I, everything you're saying is correct, by the way. I'm not going to argue with you on any point you've, you've made because you're fucking right on every single one of them. I just think when I saw it that time, it really left a good impression on me. Now, if I was to go, having never seen the film, and if I was to go watch it on Disney Plus now, I would probably would. I probably would give it, not, I wouldn't slate it, but I certainly wouldn't have given it four stars. Mm. I probably would have given it a two and a half and probably would have written in this fictitious review you probably would have worked better in a cinema because I do think it's a film that should be seen in a cinema um, but yeah I mean I can't like I, I've i gotten grief about that review a lot and I know a lot of people that have gone to see that went to see it off the back of it and then came back and looked at me differently so you know, I can't, I can't defend it that much. Like, I can only just say that I really enjoyed it. That's all I can really say. Is there any salvaging the franchise? Because the oh, director no. had said he had actually written like two sequels. Yeah. Um, and he was still, I think he's still kind of half thinking that he like. There's basically something, something exists. He doesn't know if it'll ever see the light of day. Yeah. Um, because like I think there was a thing about. 
the whole thing with Will Smith as well is that he wanted a certain salary, they wouldn't give it to him. Sure. He was committed, or then it, by the time they'd worked out something else, it was like he was committed to another movie. Yeah. What I if doubt they it. just heard a hard reboot? No? Like, forget ins- uh, I, Resurgence ever existed, bring back Will Smith, we'll give them all a jolly good day out again? No? I doubt it. Why? I doubt it. Because, like, I mean, for one, like, it it, it lost a shit ton of money. Yeah. I know that. Like, they were expecting it to do huge business. Like, I remember, like, the press campaign for this, and I'll never forget it, after i written my review, I got, a, I got a phone call off the publicist a couple of days later and panicked. And like, can we use your review? Can we just, like, put that... Th- can we just, like, plaster the whole poster with your review? Because they knew right well that no one else was going for it. And they were sending out all, like, the goodies with it as well, like the, the press drops and everything. Like, you couldn't get enough press drops for this film. Your vest top emblazoned to it. Everything. I still have the jacket. I still, I got a jacket. I got a really nice, a nice jacket. jacket. It is. There I like go. it. And like, I was like, I, I'm keeping this. <laughs> um, fuck, the, fuck the competition winners. I'm keeping this. It happens so much, by the way, if when, when press drops. You just not claim prizes and then you just get to get, keep them. I, yeah, I'm just I'm like, put one of them aside for me and if someone doesn't come to collect it, I'm keeping it. Like, I have a whole collection of Film hats at home. Okay, I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, like do you know that thing uh, night promoting on Twitter? There's this whole Twitter account that's basically um, press drops from films, like as in like all the stupid. Yeah, guys. Yeah, it's a whole. Okay, I love there's a whole, like that. There's a whole subculture yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. But um, what was I saying? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think there's any way they can salvage this at all. There really is, and like to be honest. Do I'm we okay. want it to be salvaged? That's I suppose, it. yeah. It, it doesn't need to be salvaged. Like in the same way, you could argue there didn't need to be a sequel to the first one. Um, there doesn't need to be a sequel to this. Now, the end of the film completely. They fully expected. I, I appreciate. I kind of applaud their hubris because at the end of it, they're like, "Nope, we are totally making a third one. We are setting this up for a third one. We found the alien artifact. We know how to fight back now." We are going to totally fucking kick those aliens' asses. It's going to be payback. And then it never happens. And I'm kind of okay with that. I kind of, in a weird sort of way, I kind of appreciate the fact that they thought they they were making this with the intention of making a third one. Mm. And that third one never happened. That's the locked door of potential. Do you know the way? That third film, that could be, that could be amazing. Yeah. But... I'll never see it, and yeah. that's enough. I, I'm I'm happy with the idea. You of just feel like the idea of it existing exactly. somewhere and potentially being really, really, really good. I do, yeah. They make that film; it's going to ruin it for me. Like I've got that film written in my head already, and it's great. Okay. And Will Smith comes back into it, and there's a big father son reunion, and like Brent, he come back as a ghost because he's very fucking dead in this. Oh no, he's so oh, he's fucking alive. dead. Okay. Oh yeah, he's. Sort of, I'm thinking cool. like the aliens have a clone <laughs> of him. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, just go fucking full stupid sci-fi with it. Yeah, it'd it, be ridiculous. Like. It'll be so bad if this if my the film I have in my head got made, it would be terrible. Yeah, I know it would be terrible, but I, it, it's it's fun in my head. It's 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 out there. Do you know what I mean? The potential is there. Like, tell you what, when Joey King turned up as well, I was like, you've been in an awful lot of shit. Like, for as good an actor as you are, like who. Yeah. Who is your agent and what are you doing? Like, like what's going on there? All like, of the kissing booths. This as a whiny teenager. I don't know. It's very odd. You were nominated for many awards. Like, what are you doing? Like, and yeah, and it's the same with like, you know, William Fickner and like all the older people like Jeff Goldblum. Charlotte Gainsbourg is in there. Charlotte Gainsbourg, by the way, for people who don't know, like is... Uh, indie film royalty. Yeah. Did all her, did loads of stuff with Lars von Trier. Like, completely would not expect her to be in a film like this 
in the fucking slightest. Now, clearly she was there just trying to secure the bag. And you know what? Take the pay. Take the check. Totally understand it. Wouldn't fault you for it at all. And she was grand in it. But Joey King, yeah, odd. I mean, I would say... It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if one of those like nine or ten scripts, if one of them was actually brilliant. Mm. And that's how they managed to convince everyone to come on board. And then when they rocked up on set, it was like, no, actually, this is completely different. Here's what you're doing now. And they were like, oh, I could fight this, but then I'd lose all my money. Yeah. Uh, Screw it, I'll just do it and I'll just chalk it up to experience. Because that happens a lot. Who was saying Dakota Johnson was saying that recently about Fifty Shades? Was oh, that basically yeah. there was an entirely separate script, and then El James came in and was like, "Absolutely fucking not!" And yeah. then they were trying to like salvage, sal- bring pe- like they would go and rehearse, like they're bringing parts from the old script and yeah. hope that she wouldn't notice while they were doing takes, and like they would rehearse like in the fucking dead of night. It just sounded like the most. Hor- horrific and for, experience and for all and for all films to be putting that amount of effort into that film like Jesus I Christ know. like what are you doing yeah. like because like, Rosario Dawson was talking about it actually she was doing one of those round tables I think for THR and she she said the same thing she didn't mention the film there she didn't or maybe it was a TV series I don't know but she, something something anyway and she said the exact same thing she was like we turned up I had signed up for this script I was really really excited about it I got there in the first day of shooting it was completely different yeah. the entire thing and they only gave her the sides as well they didn't give her the full script and she was like I'm not doing this I signed up for this you got me for this so you're breaking the contract now because I signed up for this script not that script and goodbye and good luck and like that that is from what I've known from talking to people in the industry it is freakishly common mm. and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if people like Joey King and maybe Jeff Goldblum although I don't know about him so much but Charlotte Gainsbourg and what have you wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if they all signed up with the idea of uh, we have one version of this script and then it turned out to be a completely other different version of it and again that's that's kind of like what I like about this film is that like there is a lot of potential. Like, you know, that kind of way you can kind of watch and say, oh, if they did more of this, it would have been better. If they did more of that, would have been better. Isn't it fun to imagine what that would have been like? But that's, you're not supposed to do that for a fucking blockbuster. You're supposed to take it as is. Like, Yeah, and I, maybe that's maybe that's a me issue with the genre as well, I would say. Do you say. not like sci-fi at all? I... You don't. I, like, do you, if you don't, you don't. I... I'm trying to think what movies I like. They probably wouldn't be in my... <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Like, I tried to get my wife... But that's the thing. But I think, like, because you'd often hear people, like, critique it. And then it's like, but that's kind of... You can't have to accept it. There's a little bit of... It's like a Bond film. It's like a Bond film. You're like, if you're going to give out about the sexism in in a Bond film, like, duh. (laughs) It's a fucking Bond film. Of course he's going to be a fucking creep to women. Of course he's going to be... Uh, uh, you know he's got to do all those things they're all terrible he's absolutely right like you're absolutely right to critique the sexism or whatever but to suggest that it's not going to have those things in it you're just codding yourself yeah, do you yeah, know yeah. that kind of way yeah. and the same with sci-fi like you do have to suspend disbelief you do have to kind of pull, take logic out of it for a minute and just kind of accept it as is and that's you know, a lot of people can't get there and that's totally grand. Like, that's completely under- acceptable and understandable. In the same way that people can look at, like, a Nicholas Sparks film and be like, you're telling me that he loved her all this time and I was like, get, come the fuck on. Like, The Notebook. Like, not that I don't have a problem with The Notebook, but, but like, there's an element of, like, ah, no, yeah. eh, come on, how, how much of this yeah. is, like, come on, really? Yeah. 
Exasperation. Yeah. Um, I found this funny. So the whole thing around it kind of, you mentioned that it lost a boatload of money, whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, it kind of didn't go anywhere in China either because um, there's a Chinese actress in the movie called yeah. Angela Baby. She's one of the pilots. Yeah. And basically they were really annoyed because she didn't get enough screen time. So they just didn't fucking go see it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like... And like that was another thing about this as well is that like they actually you could really see they were trying to pander to the Chinese film market as well mm. because like one of the commanders was a Chinese actor she was one of the pilots she was Chinese as well and like you know yeah I mean like it, there was a big for I think like between 2016 and maybe 2018 there was like a series of films like there was this there was The Great Wall with, with Matt Damon do you remember oh, that? Gosh, yeah yeah and then there was there was another one as well. I can't think of it now. What was it? I can't fucking think of it now. But there was basically films that they were... Pacific Rim Uprising. That's what it was. Um, they were making these films specifically for the Chinese film market. And they were like... They were all terrible. Mm. They were just all terrible because they were trying to pander to that audience. And Independence Day Resurgence, I think, got kind of roped in with that as well. And yeah. I mean, like this film was a total flop total flop critically commercially every sense of the word was a flop and I you know yeah I mean it's a shame but at the same time like look everyone came out of it the better for it I think I mean Liam Hemsworth well Liam Hemsworth like I mean you know know, like where's he now like riddle me that but like you can't yeah he he, I mean, I think he'll be all right, though. I think he'll end up somewhere. He'll end up doing something really interesting, I think, in about four or five years' time. I think. No, I really think that. I really think I that. I can't wait to come back to this podcast if that does come true. Academy I mean, Award winner Liam Hemsworth. I mean, okay, no, he's definitely not going to be that. But yeah. like, I think you could see him do something like... I would love to see him do a film with Paul Schrader, the guy who did, like, um, Taxi Driver or something like that. Because he has... And you're probably going to disagree with him in this, but he has real dirtbag energy. Right. He's real scumbag energy. Like I could totally see him on the set of a porn set, on the set of a porn <laughs> film. Do you know that kind of way? Like there's just something about him that's just really like seedy and like you know everyone was talking about him and Miley Cyrus and oh Miley Cyrus was the wild one. I was like no 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 I bet he's a scumbag as well. Like I bet there's something well, about she's, him. She said in a song she said she didn't want the whiskey and pills anymore. So. I think there was two of them in it. That's you know yeah, I mean? like I that's what I'm saying to you. And I think he has that in him. Like I would love to see him in some sort of like a true detective. Maybe not a true detective. But you know what I mean? Like I could just totally see him in a kind of playing a really seedy character. Mm. Um like Michael Monroe, she was in It Follows. She's having a great career. Bill Pullman, uh, I don't know why he's 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 passed away. Obviously, so, <laughs> so, he's, he's, not so he's not doing too great. But um, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, I actually forgot he died. It just as I was saying, it was it's like, fine. Oh, he can't listen to this podcast. So. Yeah. R.I.P. Obviously, but. Oh, R.I.P. Bill. Like you know, but I totally forgot about that. Jeff Goldblum is obsessed with doing sequels now again. He can't get enough of them. He can't get enough of them fucking sequels. Um, but he, he'll he be, again, Jeff Goldblum, he'll be fine. Yeah. He'll, he'll, I am not worried about Jeff Goldblum. Rest not in the slightest. And like your man is, um, Will Smith's son, is, he's on The Boys now and stuff like that and he's great in it. Jaden uh, Smith? No, not Jaden Smith. The guy who oh, plays... the son in the, the son actual, in it. Sorry you did Yeah, the that. son yeah. in... Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten his name now. But um, yeah, no, like, I mean, the cast, the, everyone came out of it 
not terribly relatively it, unscathed relatively yeah. unscathed and Roland Emmerich went off and made other films out of the back of it as well so like like he made the, his Roland Emmerich's most recent film right is about the moon falling to earth moon he did moonfall yes I haven't seen it but I've but there you go the whole concept is that the moon has fallen to earth the and moon has fallen to earth and it's called moon did you see that I didn't and I'm so annoyed I didn't get to see it because the fucking uh, the, the, the press they, they never screened it for press and I how bad it was do you reckon oh yeah it was terrible I'm sure yeah. it was terrible but again like like I can like B movies are a thing like yeah. sci-fi B movies are a thing Jesse Usher that's his name thank you Halle Berry was in this yeah Halle yeah. Berry Patrick Wilson Donald Sutherland yeah like, oh my god yeah like Daryl and Emmerich does make B movies like 2012 clearly a fucking B movie yeah. and stuff like that and I think Independence Day Resurgence as well I think if you take it as a B-movie, it's still enjoyable. But like, you know, I totally understand why it flopped. Totally understand why people don't like it. I just have a really soft spot for it. Like, so, yeah. Do you still think that maybe in 2026 we'll, um, no. we'll be celebrating? <laughs> they won't. They won't. Like, I mean, it was like, it was so inoffensively bad that like... it. It's one of those films that, like, it just totally fell through the cracks. And I would be, I mean, I would love it if it was reevaluated and people are like, actually, you know what? We were really hard on it because it would prove me right. Um, but I don't see that happening. Like, I think, you know, there were so many films being cranked out at that time that, you know, came and went from cinemas. It would be surprising if Independence Day Resurgence was plucked out of obscurity and given that reappraisal. Mm. Um, but, I mean, in saying that, if I was to program, you know, a cinema festival and it was to be, like, underappreciated sci-fi films, damn right I'd fucking put that in there. I would 100% put that in there. And I would stand in front of an audience and I would argue for it religiously because I do think it's a film that needs to be seen in the cinema. You just can't watch it at home. Would you not just do Cinematon again, but under that I, banner? Do you know, or something you recovered from Cinematon? I, funny you should fucking say that. Funny you should fucking say that because I was this, like, I you need to hold you. I was so fucking close to putting it in there. I was so fucking close. And when people were putting in donations, somebody put in a donation say, oh God, I hope you don't make people watch Independence Day Resurgence. And I was like, I should have fucking done it. <laughs> I should have put it in there. I should have, I should have had the courage to put it in there. I could have done my whole fucking uh, uh, spiel there and I could have saved it, but no, I didn't. Um, if we end up doing Cinematon next year, I I will have to convince people He's threatening it. I'm threatening it. He's threatening it, a curly it's, pops. It's, yeah, it's, it, that's no idle threat. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I really would love people to see it in the cinema. I would love people to see it how I saw it. That's all. That's all I can say about it. It's very wholesome. It's very wholesome when you put it like that. Brian, where can people read more of your reviews that you ad- adamantly stand over? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say now, geez, if you're going to make me go through my other reviews and ones that I'm not sure I can stand over anymore, that's I'd a be... podcast concept. Oh no, don't, don't make me do that. <laughs> Brian Lloyd, this is your review. Oh fuck, please don't make me do I'll that because there's that. so yeah, because there's so many that I'm like, I can like Spectre is the one that haunts me. Let's not talk about it. Anyway, where can people? <laughs> Sorry, your uh, yeah, uh, entertainment.ie is uh, is where I write, and I'm on the last word, and I'm on. Movies and Booze and I'm on Brendan O'Connor show and the radio. I'm yeah. on the radio. And Ireland AM. And Ireland AM, yeah. Jesus, oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. Ireland Ireland yeah. Give them a plug. Yeah. Um, if you're they don't need back, a plug. Though. They don't need a plug. What am I talking about? Sorry, Virgin. Um, 
if you were, because I'd love to have you back for another episode at some stage. Sure. What do you reckon you'd do if you were to pick again? Uh, ooh, shit, you're putting me on the spot there now. Um, That's okay, Adam's ready to go to editing, so. Oh, fuck. Oh my God, no, I can't think of anything right now. Okay, you think about that. Come back to me in three months. Okay, yeah, grand. <laughs> when you're doing the season two, yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. I'll totally come back. I will have something for you. I just can't think right now. I'm so frazzled. That's completely um, fine. It's very warm. It's very, it's so fucking warm in here. Um, and I'm trying to think, I'm trying to rack my brain of like stuff like that. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything. I'm really sorry. You'll be back though. I will we'll be back. we'll have a good chat about whatever that is. Yeah, I'm very totally excited. Well. And this was very great. I enjoyed it so much. Brian thank Lloyd, you. thank you so much. Thank you. you can find all of Brian's reviews on entertainment.ie and on their socials and also he's covering I'm a Celebrity on Ireland AM at the minute and he's very funny so you should watch and he's also occasionally on Movies and Booze on the Moncrief Show on News Talk with me so listen to that too if you want to stream Independence Day Resurgence you can find it on Disney Plus Top of the Flops let's get into it You're a flop Top of the Flops this week is Drake I was really excited for her loss. It's his latest collaboration album with 21 Savage. Initial reviews seem to be good. Fan takes seem to be good. Like I was excited to finally get a good Drake project. His first good one since What A Time To Be Alive. Don't correct me. I'm right. He has not released a good album since then. And then he came from Megan The Stallion for no other reason other than he could and because misogyny is rampant and because some men will support men at whatever cost, which is highly embarrassing for me to be honest. So on the song Circo Loco, he raps. You're going to have to bear with me because I am white and not a rapper. I've been fucking on a French bitch. Say la vie. I just put him on a jet. Now they all Italian. Way, way I'm dressing till I've been to a thousand islands. This is the important bit. You can ignore the start. This bitch lie about getting shots, but she's still a stallion. She don't even get the joke, but she's still smiling. Shorty say she graduated. She ain't learning enough. Player album track one, okay, I heard enough. The last two lines is for controversy because many people believe that Drake is accusing Megan Thee Stallion of lying about a shooting incident which took place between Megan and another rapper uh, called Tory Lanez in the summer of 2020. Uh, allegedly took place at uh, Kylie Jenner's house party in which they were leaving an event in an SUV uh, they were arguing. She attempted to leave. He pulled a gun on her and shot at her feet as she exited the car. He was arrested in connection to the shooting. Uh, he's pleaded not guilty to assault charges. Like, kind of means nothing though. Like, August Alsina came out and said that uh, he attempted to assault him. Tory's ex-girlfriend has also accused him of assault. Uh, initially she was kind of like trying to distance herself from it uh, now bear with me on this again because there's a word that I cannot use here so I'm just going to replace it with like men uh, so this is what she tweeted initially or actually sorry she had addressed the incident on her song uh, called Shots Fired it was on her album Good News and she said again this is where I'm going to start replacing words Imagine men, me, oh God, imagine men lying about shooting a real bitch just to save face for poor rapper men you chill with. As if it weren't for me, same week, you would have been indicted. Should have let them lock, lock your ass up. 
Then this album came out, this track came out and initially she was kind of distancing herself from it and she tweeted again, I'm paraphrasing here so bear with me. I know I'm very popular but y'all gotta stop attaching weak ass conspiracy theories in bars to my name. Lol. Men nor hoes ever address me or at me with a fact or receipts. I am clout bitch. Keep sucking my pussy. That's good isn't it? The neighbours are obsessed with me. And then... I think someone replied because, you know, he obviously references Stallion and she kind of came back and was like, that refers to like a tall, lean, black woman in slang. But then I think she got more defensive because I think people were kind of, you know, people were using this experiences of hers as a punchline. So she said, stop using my shooting for clout, bitch ass men. Since when the fuck is it cool to joke about women getting shot? You men, especially rap men, are lame. Ready to boycott out shoes and clothes, but dogpile on a black woman when she say one of y'all homeboys abused her. Um, and there's an account on Instagram, which I link below in the show notes. It's called darkest underscore hue. It puts it better than I ever will. Uh... While rappers mourn Takeoff, Megan Thee Stallion's experience with gun violence is still a punchline. Takeoff, one member of Migos, died this year at the hands of guns. It's just, I just, I don't get it on the same project in which Drake has, and Drake is constantly doing this. He's a woman front and centre on the on the album cover. You know, he's advocating for women's right to abortion claiming he's feminist, thinking he's like the most woke guy in the world because he's calling it Roe v. Wade. Um, and you have him making comments like this because he can, as a flex. And because it goes back to my original point, some men would rather die than stand up for women or accept that men can be responsible for bad things. He's not the only one. We've had other people like this before that have made jokes uh, LeBron James kind of well I don't know if he was necessarily joking but he was kind of really in support of Tory Lanez in the wake of the shooting 50 Cent was making memes about the shooting it's just and when you look at and this is where I would again point you back to Darkest Hue because they have all the studies when it comes to you know intimate partner violence against black women and the studies there like the stats are horrifying it is and when it's someone as big and as revered and as praised and as uniquely loved as Megan Thee Stallion, what hope does anyone bloody else have? He rots me. He rots me to my core. I am just... <sighs> Get a life. Get a life, loser. Get a life. Get a life! Log off, Drake. Log off and get a life. That's all he's doing this for is the social media crew, which is so embarrassing. So barrazing. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. As always, we are on Instagram and TikTok under flockculture underscore pod and you can get in touch at helloflockculture at gmail.com. If you leave a five-star review and your name or nickname on Apple Podcasts, I would recommend a bop to you. You can also leave a five-star review on Spotify. This week's bop is for McWord Stock. Thank you for your five-star review. Uh, go follow Getty Images Fan Club on Instagram. They share like bizarre celebrity encounters from the Getty Image Files, celebrities you'd never expect to see together old celeb photos if you're a pop culture hash, uh, slash celeb freak you will delight in it my recent fave is Natalie Portman and Soldier Boy on MTV very enjoyable we will be back next week thank you to Adam Shanahan on editing duties as per usual Brian Lambert did our artwork you know where we are on social media I've plugged it a million times already but thank you so much for listening much appreciated see you then bye